Today I want you to take your Bibles, I want you to turn to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the fifth book in the Bible. Uh, it stands for five, by the way. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I'm going to be reading a couple of verses out of chapter 8 of Deuteronomy. And today we're starting a three-part series entitled, What Happens? What Happens? And today's message is, What Happens When I Take Control of My Finances God's Way? I heard that there was a little boy that was on his way to church and his grandmother gave him two quarters. And she said, this one quarter is for you to buy candy. The second quarter is for you to put in the offering plate at church. Got it? One for candy, one for the offering. So he was walking on his way to church, flipping the quarters up in the air like boys tend to do, throwing it up in the air. And one of the quarters came down and fell, and it rolled and went into a drainage, and he tried to get it, but he couldn't. So he's left with one quarter. He kept walking on his way to church. Right before he went into the church building, he said, Sorry, God, I lost your quarter. It reflects a little bit our perspective, doesn't it, sometimes on life. But I believe that every year for the past probably 10 years or more, I've made it a point to make sure that we took some time out of the year, especially leading up to Thanksgiving oftentimes, to talk about what it means to manage our finances. And let me tell you why I talk about this. I talk about this because the statistics tell us that 70% of you today sitting in this auditorium are extremely stressed and anxious and the number one source of anxiety is your finances. In fact, here's a couple of the stats that I want you to know about. Around 40% of Americans have less than $300 in savings. That's 40% of Americans. 42% of Americans has less, less than 10,000 saved for retirement. Almost 60% of adults in the United States admit that they are living paycheck to paycheck. 60% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. That means that they've spent everything that they have, that they have no savings, and if they don't get their paycheck this week, they'll be out on the street, can't buy groceries, can't make a car payment. 60% of Americans. Those that have a credit card, the average credit card debt is about 8,400 in credit card debt. The result of that in most Americans is that we have a highly, highly stressed out group of people. In fact, a recent survey found out that 73% of Americans view money and finances as the number one stress factor in their life. Not the pandemic, not their spouse, not their children. Not a stressful job, but finances as the number one stress factor in their life. In fact, there's so much stress around uh, finances 
that 77% of Americans report feeling anxious about their financial situation. Anxious. That means that they have anxiety, that they get stressed about it, that they're worried about it, that they wake up in the middle of the night sometimes, that they can't go to bed at night sometimes because they feel stressed and anxious about their finances. 58% feel finances in their life are out of control, and 52% have difficulty controlling the worries that overcome them about finances. We have a stressed out population of Americans primarily related to finances. And here's the thing. If I were to talk to most people that are stressed out about finances, and I were to say to them, what is the solution? What is your main problem? And they would say to me, my problem, pastor, is that I need more <laughs> I don't have enough money. Most people would say, my problem is I need to make more money. I need to have more money. My problem is I don't have enough money. However, let me talk to you a minute about that. Do you realize that we Americans are among the wealthiest people in the world? Do you realize that we are the rich of the world? Uh, that a good percentage of the world, a huge percentage of the world, their average income is $2 a day. That's what they make when they're working. We are among the top 1% wealthiest in the world. If you live in Chicago and you are here, you are the 1% of the wealthy in the world. Most of the world would look at us and say, you are the rich. You are the wealthy. You are the ones with a lot, yet we feel like what we need is a little bit more money. Now, the average household in America's income is about 78000 In other words, you take one household, the people that are living in there, $78,000 is the medium income in the United States of America. Now, let me tell you this. You may say, if I just had more money, I wouldn't be in debt. If I just had more money, I wouldn't be stressed. But let me tell you this. 18%, almost 20% of the people making $100,000 a year live paycheck to paycheck. So what's that telling you? The bottom line is what it's telling you is that it's not really about more money typically. The problem is that what we have, the money that we have, is that we don't know how to manage the money that we have. Listen, I've had people come up to me before with lottery tickets and say, Pastor, you know, I'm in church here today. I thought I'd come to church. I just wonder if you'd bless my lottery tickets. <laughs> now, I pray blessing over a lot of things, but use it. Why do you want me to bless? Pastor, I'm in so much debt. If you would bless my lottery tickets, because I really need to win the lottery. I've been tempted to say, as long as you tithe, no, 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 I'm not. But here's what I know. Here's what I know because studies have shown us this. Studies have shown us that people that are poor at managing their money, when they win the lottery and may win $5 million, it's only a matter of a short amount of time before they find themselves broke again. 
Because it's not about the money that they had, it's about the way they managed their money. So let me tell you, I'm going to tell you this. The way that you manage your money now, whether you're making 25000 or 75000 the way you manage your money now as a college student, the way you money, manage your money now, maybe working at a, in the, as, a, as a waiter in, in the service industry, will determine and shows me how you will manage your money when you get more money. So, I believe that the Bible has a lot to say about money. In fact, I've never done the count, but I've read before that the Bible has about 2,500 verses that relate to money, finances, resources. Those that have counted the verses say there's more verses about money and resources than there is about love, hell, and heaven put together. Why? Because God understood the power of money and resources in our life. Money's not a bad thing, but money can be a bad thing if we misuse it. Money's a great thing. It can do a lot of good, but money can do a lot of bad as well. So I want to talk to you today, if you are living stressed out, if you are like most Americans in debt, heavily in debt, by the way, we live in a culture of indebtedness, our government is trillions of dollars in debt, and we as consumers in America have over a trillion dollars in consumer debt as well. We are a heavily, heavily indebted people. And I believe that if you're going to have peace in your life and not live with worry, if you're going to live in God's sort of standard, there's a couple of things that you need to start doing about the way you manage your money and thinking about your money. And so I take you to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 17 through 18. It says this, you may say to yourself, how many of you talk to yourself? Go ahead. Don't be ashamed. Raise your hand. You talk to yourself. How many talk to yourself but don't like to admit you talk to yourself? <laughs> How many of you have spouses that, you know, they're in the kitchen and they're saying, I don't know, I shouldn't have done that. I can't believe it. Did I buy the groceries? And you say, are you talking to me? No, 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 just talking to myself. The truth is we all talk to ourselves. You may talk out loud or you may talk in your head, but we all have self-talk. And our conversation with ourselves determines largely the behaviors that we embrace. And so, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17, the author of Deuteronomy is saying, you may say to yourself, in other words, in your self-talk, as you talk to yourself, you may say, my power and my, the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Oh, this is a short verse, but let me summarize what it's saying. Many of us in our self-talk say, I'm the one that generates and produces wealth. This belongs to me. I'm the source. God is telling these people, I want you to eliminate that self-talk and I want you to remember that the one that gives you the ability to produce wealth is God. He's the source. He's the source of your wealth. 
Now this is really important because unless you understand this, then you can't really embrace the principles of what it means to be a manager. I want you to understand this. As long as you think that things belong to you, then you manage them according to your own desires. Listen, as a believer in Jesus Christ, this may come as a shock to some of you, but as a believer in Jesus Christ, we no longer are owners of anything. We are managers of everything. Let me tell you the implications of that. Listen to me, young man. Your body is no longer your body. You are managers of God's body. That means what you put in your body. That means it's not just about, hey, I can do whatever I want. I can have sex with whoever I want to have sex. I can snort whatever I want to snort. I can inject what. No, 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 no. If it was your body, you could. But it, once you came to Christ, now it's God's body. So you say, God, I need to honor you with my body. I need to follow you with my body. Listen, your mind, it's not your mind anymore. It's God's mind. So what you, truth you put into this depends. What you watch, what you listen to, what you are exposing yourself to, this is God's, these are God's eyes. These are God's mind. Listen, all your resources, it's not yours anymore. It's not just whatever I want to do. No, I'm a manager of what God owns and possesses. I'm a steward. My time isn't mine anymore. It belongs to God, and I'm a steward of what God gives me. My life, listen, my life isn't mine anymore. I'm simply a steward of what God has given to me, entrusted to me, and so I need to live my life on purpose with God's design or I waste what God has given to me. So here's a couple of principles that you need to understand as a manager, not as an owner. There are three choices that you must make. Number one, if you're writing, taking notes, write this down. Since God is the owner or the source, I must choose to celebrate what has been entrusted to me. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 says, keep your life free from the love of money and, and be content. With what you have, because God said he will never leave you nor forsake you. Now notice, some people think that the Bible says that money is bad. The Bible never says that. Money is neutral. Money is like electricity. Uh, electricity is not a bad thing, but it can electrocute you if you don't manage it the right way. But it can also empower your television, and it can empower your stove, and it can empower your electronics... Because it's neutral. It's how you use it that makes it good or bad. The Bible never says that money is bad. The Bible says avoid the love of money. In other words, the idolatry of money. The putting it above everything else in life. To making it a substitute for God. Watch out for the love of money. Because that can actually derail your life. It says so keep yourself free from the love of money but be content. First uh, Timothy chapter 6, the Apostle Paul speaking to young Timothy says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. 
People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. What the Bible is telling us is that the first attitude we need to have in managing money is we need to develop an attitude of contentment. Boy, it's hard to be content. Let's just be honest. It's hard to say, thank you, Lord, for this old car. Because we have so many cues coming at us. Advertisement tells us, buy this car and you'll be happy. Our neighbors tell us, oh, it's, that's your car? We have so much comparison, so much jealousy, so much envy, so much resources, and our creditors tell us all you have to do is put it on credit and it can be yours immediately. We struggle with contentment. Contentment about what we wear, what we drive, where we live, our furniture, our clothes, our dollar amount, where we vacation. We struggle with contentment because, well, it's hard to be content when there's so much comparison going around. But here's what the Bible tells us. Listen, the Bible tells us that godliness with contentment is great gain. Rich is a moving target. When you were making certain amount of money, you thought you would be content if you're making the money that you are now. Some of you 20 years ago could never imagine that you'd be making the money that you're making now, but guess what? You look at your life now and you realize, I'm just as discontent as I was 20 years ago because now I've set my sight on more. Uh, Contentment is a moving target. It doesn't just stay the same. And most people, when they reach a goal, they become discontent with it pretty quickly. And so we realize that this is a perspective that comes and goes, that changes. And here's what I want to tell you. You will never manage your money well. You will never put it under control. You'll always be in debt. You'll always be uh, uh, gripped by greed. You'll, it'll always flee from you unless you develop a spirit of contentment that says, before anything else, I'm going to start by saying, thank you, God, for what I have. I am content with what I have. I bless you for what I have, God. I want to start by saying, blessed be your name because what I have, you've given to me. You say, well, pastor, where's that in the Bible? Well, listen to this. First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 34, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his love endures forever. Listen to what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in what kind of circumstances? All circumstances. Listen, I want to tell you something. There are a lot of very miserable millionaires. And I've met a few of them, miserable millionaires. It's not the money that makes them miserable. It's their thinking towards their money that makes them miserable. And so no matter what your pay check is, 
No matter what your balance is, no matter what car you drive today, no matter where you live today, I believe that it starts by contentment and thanksgiving. It starts by saying, Lord, I may not be where I want to be, but I want to start by saying, thank you, Lord, for what I have. There's something liberating about contentment. There's something powerful about thanksgiving. There's something that makes you delight in what you have when you give thanks. If you live with the spirit of criticism, listen, if you allow what God gave you to be a curse instead of a blessing, some of the very gifts that were originally a blessing to you have now become a curse. You know how long we prayed for this building that you're in? We bounced around for years, and we rented, and um, at one time our, our theme was, you can meet with us if you can find us. <laughs> we met at IIT, and then they had some events, and we had to move over. We met at the, we met at the Union Hall on Ashland, Van Buren, and they would have events, and so we had to meet downtown at a hotel, and I mean, it was hard to keep track of where we were. We lost some people on purpose. We just gave our forwarding address. Some people we wanted to get rid of. We just didn't tell them where we were going. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but we, we met over and over, and we prayed, God, give us a building. We need a place. We don't want to live out of a truck. We, we want a more permanent home. And then finally, miraculously, God opened up a door for us to buy an 84,000-square-foot building. Let me tell you, when we moved in, it did not look like this. This was a dental warehouse. It was, uh, it was just warehouse space. And so we moved into the building and we celebrated. We said, thank you, Lord. We raised money to get this building. We're finally in. And then, you know, a couple months into it, I started to feel, Lord, this building's a curse. So much work to do, so much labor. This place was a massive amount. And I started to feel like, Lord, why did we get this building? There's so much work and so much labor. It's so costly. The heating bill is high, the electric bill. We got to do this, we got to do that. There's leaks in the roof. And the Lord stopped me one day and said, One day, and I felt like the Spirit of God said to me, Never let what I'm intended to be a blessing turn into a curse. I'm talking to some married people here. Your marriage is struggling. You prayed for a spouse. God gave you. Now you're like, how can I get rid of this spouse, Lord? And you know what? Never let what God intended as a blessing turn into a curse. It's about your perspective towards it. So we start with thanksgiving. Can I ask you a question? When's the last time you've actually thanked God for what you have? Maybe this morning you complained about what you have. Maybe you're critical. This stupid thing, I can't believe it. It doesn't work and I have to do this and can't believe it. What are we going to get? Can't wait till we move. When are we going to get a different car? This door doesn't even work all right. I'm cramped. When's the last time you actually said, thank you, Lord, for what I have? Oh, come on. I'm going to put it into practice right now. Let's stand. 
And if you feel comfortable, can you raise your hands to the Lord? I want you to think about it for a moment. Brother Carlos Yanez this morning was in a wheelchair, so when I said, could we stand, he could not stand. Some of you need to say, thank you that my legs work. Thank you that I have breath in my lungs. Oh, this body may be a little bit achy, but I got a body I could still walk. Thank you, Lord. Hey, my car may be a little old, but thank you that it runs at least, God. I didn't have to sleep under a bridge tonight. Bless you, Lord. I had some heat in my house. Thank you, God. I didn't go hungry today because I have a refrigerator, and it may just have yogurts in it, not steaks, but I, got, I ate something at least, Lord. So why don't you give the Lord a praise offering and begin to thank him that he is good for what you have, what he's given to you, what you possess now. And listen, I want to tell you something. If some of you decided every time I get up in the morning, instead of checking Instagram and Facebook and TikTok if I, and the latest news here, if you decided I'm going to spend the first five minutes in the morning saying, thank you, Lord, for what I have. Thank you that you're on the control. Thank you that I'm breathing. Thank you that I have a purpose. Thank you that you are Jehovah Jireh. It would change some of your perspective about life because we lack gratitude and thanksgiving that leads to content. You can be seated. Number two, not only do you need to choose to celebrate what has been entrusted to you, but you need to choose to walk in freedom. Since God is the master, since God is the owner, I choose to walk in freedom and not let my stuff enslave me. This is really about debt. Can I tell you something? We live in a nation that has perpetuated a culture of debt. Our government is in debt. The city of Chicago is in debt. Americans are in debt. You are, your debt is celebrated. In order to get a good credit score, you have to get in debt and then make payments on time because if you have no debt, you can't get a credit score. And if you have no debt, they say, well, we can't sell you a house because we need to see your credit score. College kids get credit cards in the mail sent to them before they have a job saying, hey, just put it on your credit card. The culture tells us this, you don't have to wait. There is no delayed gratification. If you want it, buy it now. You'll pay for it later. Don't worry about that. Buy it now. You go to buy a car and you say, yeah, I like this car. I don't know if I can afford it. They say, there's no money down for 30 days. And guess what? For two months, you don't have to make a payment. They don't tell you for five years you'll be making $600 payment that you can't afford. And they say, just put it on credit. And so millions upon millions of Americans put their life on credit. And then what happens is the pressure begins to mount. The debt begins to become overwhelming. So we say, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. The amount of debt that this country experiences 
is really incredible compared to other cultures. And I want to tell you this. I want you to hear me well. I believe there's some debt that's investment debt. Most people can't go out and buy a house with cash, and so I understand. But most consumer debt is absolutely 100% non-necessary for your life, and you should not be in debt. You say, well, pastor, does the Bible tell you that? Well, let me read you a couple verses. Proverbs 22, verse 2 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a servant to the lender. What is the borrower? A servant. When you get in debt, you become a servant because you have to pay. You can't say no to overtime because you have to pay. You can't quit a job that you hate because you have to pay. You can't spend that extra time with your kids because you have to pay. You can't sleep good at night because you have to pay. And you've borrowed, and what you didn't know when you borrowed is that, yeah, you can buy it in advance, but by the way, you're going to have 18% interest tacked onto that. And if you're late on your payment, you have more than that. And so the lender becomes rich off of the burden of the borrower. And the Bible says over and over, let no one control your life. Let no one master your life. Be free. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 says, Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. In other words, I will not let anything take control of my life. Romans chapter 13, verse 8 says, Give everyone what, is, what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. Over and over, God is a debt canceler. When he forgave your sins, he canceled your debt. In the Old Testament, there's story after story of <coughs> debt cancellation. In the Jewish culture, every seven years, all debt was canceled. Why? Because God does not want us to live in debt. It's contrary to our health, contrary to our well-being, contrary to how God designed us to live in debt. Yet as Americans, we have bought into an enormous amount of debt and we're feeling the pressure, the stress, the discouragement, the slavery of debt in our lives. The average credit card is $8,500 or $400. The average mortgage a few years ago was about $155,000. The average student loan is around $40,000. If you go to college, most college students are graduating from college indebted. We start a life in debt. We have low-paying jobs, so we got to buy our car and get in more debt. We don't live with our parents, so we get a condo or buy a house, and we get in more debt. We want to go on vacation, and since we can't pay for all the things that we have, we get in more debt. It starts to escalate, starts to overwhelm us. The payments become unbearable. The pressure on the young marriage becomes outstanding. It spills over to the kids. There's unrest in the house. There's discouragement. There's stress. There's anxiety over it, that is not God's will for your life. It tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 28, 
Listen to what he says. He says, if you will fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above the nations. And then he goes on and tells Israel this. The Lord will open up the heavens of the storehout of his bounty to send rain upon the land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. Listen, you will lend to many nations, but will not borrow from none. You say, well, pastor, I have to go in debt. No, you don't. You see, everything that we do has a spiritual root. You know why we get in debt? Here are some of the attitudes that get us in debt. You say, well, I don't make enough money. That's why I get in debt. No, no, that's not the reason. People that make $100,000 are in debt. You can be a millionaire and be highly indebted. Let me tell you what gets you in debt. Discontentment. I want it, I want it now. Materialism, everybody else has it. I need it too. Envy, how come they got that and I don't mean Pride and identity issues. Hey, you bought those $350 tennis shoes. First of all, I want to know what kind of gold material they're made out of. Because you're sporting a brand so that when people see you, they say, whoa. And you're like, check them out. My tinnies give me identity. I get some status from this. But you can't afford it. You're broke, but you got $350 tinnies. You see... What drives us oftentimes to indebtedness are things that, yeah, we can, we can laugh about them, but it's what drives us to indebtedness. And I think that we, have to re, we have to develop a resistance to this. A lack of, lack of control or crisis can lead us to this. Pride and identity issues. My wife sometimes tells me, hey, aren't you embarrassed to drive that car? I have 182,000 uh, miles on my car right now. 182,000 miles. The key thing doesn't work, so I use sort of a makeshift key to do it. It's got a scratch on the side. A little rim thing is, is missing. It works. And by the way, it's carjack proof. No one wants to carjack my car. I mean, I could go anywhere and like, nah, not that car. But guess what? It doesn't affect my identity. I know who I am. I'm a child of the living God. I can afford another car. I don't need another car to prove anything. I know who I am. I'm confident in who I am as a child of God. I bless the Lord that my car can drive. I thank Him that I can use it for His kingdom. And I go on because my identity is not caught up in that. Hello, people of God. My wife does tell me sometimes, you're the president of a college, shouldn't you drive something? You know, but she's okay with that. She's happy with that as well. Number three, and lastly, since God is the source, he's the owner, I choose to manage my money according to God's principles. 
Two principles I'm going to give you, and then I'm going to wrap it up here. Number one is the manager principle. Listen to me very well. This is very, very important. What I do with the little shows what I would do with more. There's a spiritual principle in which God says, I'll give you more if you manage the little well. But don't expect to get more if you're managing the little poorly. If you're managing the little poorly, then why would God give you more to manage poorly? So the principle is this, what you do with the little is what you're going to do with the more. If you, sometimes we blame that we don't have enough is why we're in debt, but my contention is that if you had a lot, you'd still be in debt. What you do with the little, I've heard some people say, you know, if I had more money, I would give, but you know, right now I'm really tight, so I don't give. No, you wouldn't if you had more money. You'd still be in debt. Because if you don't give when you have little, you wouldn't give when you have more. If you're not generous when you have little, you're not going to be generous when you have more. That's the principle. And so it's a principle to keep in mind is that God typically tends to open up doors for more. In Luke chapter 16, it says, Who can be trusted with the very little can also be trusted with much more. And whoever is dishonest with the little will also be dishonest with the more. Second principle I want you to understand. The spiritual money principle The way I manage my money gives insight into my spiritual life. Sometimes we think it's an accounting thing. No, it's also a spiritual thing. My money is a reflection of my spirituality. Where I spend and how I spend and if I save and if I give reflects my values. It reflects my heart. It reflects what I think is important in life. A checkbook can be a huge indicator as to someone what they value in their spiritual life. And so it says in Luke chapter 16, verse 11, so if you have not trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? I want you to keep that in mind. Here's my challenge to you today. I want you to grasp this. This is very, very important. Let me summarize what I've told you, because some of you will look back one day and say it was at that sermon in November that I started to change my financial course of life in a different direction. Some of you five years from now will say I was in debt so much I couldn't imagine being without debt, but I just paid my last debt off. I am free. Yeah. Some of you will get to a point in life where in the past you could barely, barely afford the car that you have, and you'll get to a point in life where you're giving cars to people because you have been blessed in generosity to do so. But it doesn't start, it doesn't start until you start managing what God has given you now well. And it's a blessing to your children, and it splashes over to people, but it starts now not tomorrow. So I want to challenge you, as I, 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 I started in the beginning, I want you to every day start thanking God for what you have and ask that God would give you a spirit of contentment and that you would not despise what God is giving you at the moment. 
but that you would bless what God has given you. Say, thank you, God. I bless you for this old rickety house that I have. Thank you, Jesus, that I have a roof over my head. Lord, and thank you that this squeaky mattress, I feel that one spring over here, but thank you, Lord, that I'm not sleeping on the floor. Bless your name. And see how your attitude starts changing, thanking every day. Secondly, I want you to do war on debt. Get out of debt. Get out of debt. You say, well, pastor, I can't manage it. Some of you need to cut up your credit cards. You need to start living in a budget. You need to start saying, no, if it's not in the bank, I won't spend it. And if it's in the bank, it's in the Spence account, not on credit card that I think I'll pay later. I will not live off of money that I don't have. And I will not be a slave to the lender. I will set myself free from the slavery and the master of the lender. I will not be a people in slavery. Can I tell you something? When we started this church... We were small, we were poor, and there was a mortgage. Let me tell you, we have no mortgage. None. We owe nothing to any bank as a church. None. Zero. Zero. Man, I wish I could preach about this. We've actually had buildings given to us. And I believe partly because God said, okay, you're going to do it this way, then I'm going to bless you. We've had 15 buildings given to us. We've launched churches all over the city of Chicago. We probably have 20 buildings. We, have, we owe nothing to any bank, no mortgage at all. You know why? Not because we started with a lot of money, not because there's millionaires that are doing it, but because we decided a long time ago, we will not be slaves to a lender. We will not let this ministry be bound and tied so that we can't do ministry. That's why we can feed two million people. Why? We don't have a big mortgage and slavery to anything. We've set ourselves free from that, and we're walking in, we're walking in freedom. And if we haven't had the money to rehab, we just don't rehab it. We still have undeveloped areas in this building. Why? I'm not going to get in debt. I'm just telling you that when you decide to live God's way, God can open up the doors for you to be a blessing when you choose not to be a slave. And then lastly, I want you to make sure that you determine, I will manage my money God's way. Because this belongs to him so that I can be a blessing to my family, my wife, my children, to other people so that I can walk in joy and freedom and not be like the rest of this culture is in most of North America. We've been called to be a blessing, not slaves. Amen? I want you to stand with me as we close our time together. I want to read a declaration over you. I declare that God is the source of all that we possess. This belongs to God. 
His plan is that you walk in overflow and joy in every area of your life. Not scarcity, not scarcity and stress, but overflow and joy. The way that you manage your money is a spiritual matter. You're giving, you're saving, you're spending are a reflection of your spiritual heart and worship. Choose to handle your money in a way that allows you to be in the center of God's blessing zone. You are called to be free and you are called to be a blessing.